Take your Bibles and turn them to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. As we continue in our study on the Sermon on the Mount, and we've seen that Jesus is laying out for us what it means to be a Christian. He, he, he's, he's, he begins the Sermon on the Mount by showing us the values and, and the, the demands, really, of the kingdom, of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And, and we said last week that, that the answer to those demands are not, not trying harder, but trusting more by going backwards and reminding yourself of the gospel. Uh, listen, the God, you know, I, I can't remember who said it, but it's true. We must preach the gospel to ourselves every day. And that's exactly what Jesus is getting ready to do in the passage that we're going to read today. Uh, Jesus is moving on to a new section in his sermon. And, and, and here in the passage that we are going to, uh, to read together, he is going to anticipate an objection. Because in a little bit, he's going to say, you've heard it said, but I say to you. And what he's going to talk about, he's going to talk about the law of God. And, and for the hearers there, uh, when he, he hears, you've heard it said, it, the way the law was taught to them was by the scribes and the Pharisees who, who would tell them that this is what the law means and because this is what Rabbi so-and-so said and this is what Rabbi so-and-so said. And, and Jesus is going to say, you've heard all that. But I say to you, and when he does that, he knows that some people are going to think, oh, Jesus is against the law. That G and some have already thought that because of the way Jesus dealt with the Sabbath. And people are thinking, you know, Jesus is, is getting ready to put away the law, and, and he has nothing to do with it, and, and he wants to remind them that, no, that's not the case, that Jesus has a high view of the Old Testament law. In fact, he'll say it won't pass away. But in the process of doing that, he's going to take us back to the beginning, to our need for the gospel, to our need for Jesus. So let's hear that this morning as we stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 17. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You may be seated. May God add his blessings to the reading of his word. Would you pray with me? Father, more than anything else this morning, I want people to hear you. 
And so I ask that you would speak through me today. That you would give each one of us ears to hear what your spirit has to say to us. That we will be reminded once again of our great need of Jesus. And that, Father, if someone here does not know Christ today, that they know how much they need Jesus. For we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. You may have heard people say it. They say things like this. Well, Christianity works for you. But it doesn't. I, I don't need it. I, I don't need Jesus. I want to look at them like they're crazy. How in the world can anyone say they don't need Jesus? They don't understand. Or you may have heard this said, well, Christianity is just a crutch. That's just a crutch. Well, listen, a crutch is a good thing if you're broken. And I want you to know something today. I am broken. I am broken and I need a crutch. I need Jesus. And listen, I want you to know this morning that you need Jesus. We all need Jesus today. And he tells us exactly why we need Jesus. First of all, I need Jesus because of the authority of God's word. Because of the authority of God's word. Jesus says in verse 17, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, when he says that, he's talking with, that was the way people said, described the whole of the Old Testament. He said, I've not come to, 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 to abolish it, but to fulfill it. And he says in verse 18, for truly I say unto you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, the King James says, not a jot or a tittle, will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. You know, that, 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 those words there are, are powerful because uh, an iota uh, was the small, or, or a jot was the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. And the dot was, the, was just a, a little mark on a, one, on a letter that could distinguish one letter from another. What Jesus was saying here is, is that he was saying that the Word of God, the whole Old Testament, and now the New Testament, is God's Word. It is inerrant, and it is authoritative. That is, you are called to live under God's law and do what it says. Now, some people will say, well, you know, I don't believe the Bible's true. That, that's not true for me. That may be true for you, but that's not true for me. Well, hold on a second. It is true for you. Because even if you don't believe that the Bible is the Word of God, even if you don't believe the Bible is true, God has written His law on your hearts. And in your conscience, that's exactly what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 2. He says in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, he says what? He says, for when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law to themselves even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts while their conscience, all conscience 
also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. What he's saying is that you don't have to have the law. You don't have to, 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 uh, you don't have to have it. You don't have to believe it to know. I don't need it. Don't worry about it. To, uh, to believe it, to, to, to have that law. Because, listen, your own heart knows that the law is true. And if you break it, you've done something wrong. What does the law say? The law says you should not covet. Well, to covet something is to is basically to have a desire for what somebody else has. Now, it can come out as envy because envy is your feelings towards that person because they have it. It's the anger and jealousy that you have that you get because somebody has something that you don't. Now, let me tell you something. Everybody in this room, everybody in this world, at one time or another, wanted something that somebody else had. They had they coveted and they were jealous because they had it. They look at somebody else around them. Oh, they have a better life. They have a better wife. They have a better job. They don't have as many problems as I have. I just want what they have. And listen, whether you, and, and something in every one of us knows that that's wrong. And we've broken God's law. And because God's law, because God's word is authoritative, because it is his law, because he says, I shouldn't do that. When I do it, I have sinned against him and I am guilty. I'm guilty. I want you to know today that I'm a lawbreaker. I'm guilty of breaking God's law. And I have sin and I have guilt that must be taken care of. I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I have broken God's law. His word is authoritative. His word says what I should do and what I should not do. But listen, I have done what I should not have done, and I have not done what I should have done. And because of that, I need Jesus. But not only do I need Jesus because of the authority of God's word, I need Jesus because of the impossibility of God's word. What do I mean by that? Look at what Jesus says in verse 20. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall not enter the kingdom of of heaven. Now you got to go back here and and we just need to go back in time and, and try to hear that as the original hearers as, as those who were gathered on that mountainside heard that. They were shocked when they heard that. And the first thing they thought of was this. If I've got to if I've got to if my rights if I've got to be better than the scribes and Pharisees then what hope is there for me? Because the scribes were the experts in the law. The scribes knew the law backwards and forwards. They, they knew what the God demanded of them. 
And the Pharisees were meticulous in doing it. If, if God said, you shall not go this far, they said, well, then I'm not going to go this far. They were meticulous in, in, in trying to do what the law demanded of them to do. And so the original hearers would have said, man, then it's impossible. It's impossible for me to have a righteousness that exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I want to tell you something. It's impossible for you and I. Because the righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees, Jesus wasn't criticizing them for keeping the law. He was criticizing for keeping it on the surface. For keeping it on the surface. By, by, because listen, it doesn't not only, to keep the law, not, it does not only matter your action, what matters is your attitude. So you can say, listen, I look at the law and it says do not covet. Okay, well let, then I'm going to work really hard at not Wanting what my neighbor has. But in reality, do not covet also encumbers that I not only not keep that, or not, not only do that, but it has something that I must do, and that is to do the opposite of coveting, and that is to be generous. Now, studies tell us that there are two reasons why people say that they are generous. Number one, people say they're generous because they believe other people will be generous to them. And number two, it makes me look good. It makes me look good to be generous. Now listen, if, if, if being generous is done, if 1% of your motive is, for, is your thinking, I'm doing this because it will be done to me, or if I'm doing this, because if 1% of your motivation is I'm doing this because it'll make me look good, then you've done it for the wrong motivation. Well, what is the right motivation? Well, Jesus has told that us the last Sunday. He said what? That they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. That is the only, the, listen, the only motivation for keeping the law is to the glory of God. That, you know, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Can you honestly say that I live my life 24 7, 365. Everything I do is to His glory. And because I love Him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you're honest with yourself, you'd say, No. I do things because it benefits me. And even if 1% of your, even if a half a percent of your motivation is it's done for you, then you have not kept the law. But you know, we can't keep the law anyways. I, I was watching this week a documentary about Barney the Dinosaur. 
Ashley grew up watching Barney. The, the title of the documentary is this, I Love You, You Hate Me. And it talked about all the, and the, the, it was about Barney, but it was really about all the people who hated Barney the dinosaur. Man, I didn't realize how widespread that was. That there was, there was, a, there was websites, there was groups that, I hate Barney, Barney, I'm jihad to kill Barney and all this. And, and in, the, in, in the documentary, I found this interesting, was this one woman said, you know, Barney, all Barney wanted was for people to love one another and to care for one another. And, 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 and she said this, she said, and, and as we grew up, we couldn't do it. And I don't believe she was a Christian, but what she said is, the problem lies within us. And that's exactly true. We can't do it. Because the standard is so high. I, taught, I used to tell when I shared, uh, when I did gospel presentations with large groups, uh, you know, of course, I date myself here. I, you know, people talk about LeBron James and all that, but for me, the greatest basketball player is and still will always be Michael Jordan. When Michael Jordan leaped through the air, there was nothing like that. And I, and I would tell people, I, I would say, listen, you know, if the standard, if the standard for how high you could jump was the standard we had to meet, then, then Michael Jordan must have met that standard. But you see, the standard for how high we should, would jump was not how high Michael Jordan could jump. The standard for how high we would jump was everybody here in this room would have to stand and jump and touch the ceiling. Now, Michael Jordan might come a lot closer than I could, but he still couldn't meet the standard because none of us could stand and jump and hit the ceiling. That's the standard of God's law. The righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. The righteousness has to be perfect. And none of us can do it. And that's why I need Jesus. That's why I need Jesus because, because the authority of God's word says I've broken it. And because God's word says this is what requires, this is what requires me to be righteous, I can't do it. But you see, there's good news. There's good news. I need Jesus because of his ability to keep God's word. I don't have the ability to do it, but Jesus did it for me. Look at what Jesus says. He says, verse 17, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Jesus was able to fulfill them. Why? He was able to fulfill the Old Testament because every Old Testament prediction of the Messiah, he fulfilled. He not only fulfilled the Old Testament in the sacrificial system, because every sacrifice in the Old Testament was a shadow of the sacrifice that Jesus would make on our behalf. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament because, because every event in the, history of, in the history of the Old Testament foreshadowed what Jesus would actually do and become. 
Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament because every law that was made by God, he kept perfectly. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament because of the wisdom literature of how we ought to, how we ought to act and live a wise life. He, Jesus, met that standard. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament and that because he lived a perfect life, he, became, he was qualified to be the spotless, sinless lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament because on the cross, on the cross, God took your sin and my sin and he placed them on Jesus. He placed them on Jesus so that Christ took the penalty of my sin. And then, because he fulfilled the law perfectly, God gave me Jesus' righteousness, his goodness. Oh, there is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and every sinner who is plunged beneath that flood will lose all their guilty stains. That's why I need Jesus. I need Jesus because in Christ, listen to me, in Christ, God the Father gave Jesus everything that I deserve and then turns around and gives me everything that Jesus deserves. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's why I need Jesus. Because it's not about how good I am. It's only about how good he is. Am I standing before God right now, right now, as sinful as I am, God looks at me and he sees a saint. But then, but then, Jesus says to us, listen, but then now, we still got to keep the law. Look at what he says. Verse 19. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And so he says, listen, now don't think I've come to abolish it. You, you know, you still have to keep it, but, but, but listen, your standing before God is that I've kept them for you, but because of that, now I'm calling you to keep them. And then I need Jesus because he gives me the ability to keep them. That's why he's given us the Holy Spirit. We are no longer, listen, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness. We're no longer, we no longer have, we no longer have an excuse and we cannot say, well, that's just the way I am. No, that's just the way you were, but now you're a new creation in Christ. And you are no longer under the power of sin. The only power sin has in your life is the power that you give it. 
But God has given you the Holy Spirit so that when you surrender, when you and I surrender to the Holy Spirit, then what? The Holy Spirit gives us the power. He enables us to keep the law. He enables us to do the good works that Jesus called us to do in order that people might glorify God who's in heaven. It's the Holy Spirit that enables us to do it. It's the Holy Spirit when we are tempted that, that he comes alongside us. He is the paraclete. He is the one who stands alongside us. And when we are tempted to sin, it's the Holy Spirit who provides us a way out. It's the Holy Spirit who is with us. Jesus says, I will leave you another helper who will be with you forever. So you can't sit back and say, well, I, I'm the only one. You know, because it's tough to do the right thing when everybody else is doing the wrong thing. Because you feel all alone, but you're not alone. What else the Holy Spirit does? The Holy Spirit keeps reminding us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Because that's, that, that's why we do the good works. That's why we do the, that's why we do the thing. Because it always points us back to Jesus. Because listen, when I think about my Jesus... When I think about my Jesus, who chose to leave glory and become a man. Not born in a castle, but born in a stable. Not laid in the finest, in the finest crib, but put in a manger. My Jesus, who, who not only was born into poverty, he was a man who had nothing. He had no place to lay his head. My Jesus, who had the angels glorify him day by day. He came and he walked this earth and he had to deal with the jeers and the rejection of people. He came to his own, but his own did not know him and did not receive him. My Jesus, who came and who, who had the glory of heaven, chose to wear the crown of thorns. My Jesus, who had the nails pierced into his feet and into his hands. My Jesus, who knew only the glorious, gracious relationship with the Father, chose to endure the Father's wrath for me. And when I think about him, when I'm reminded about Jesus and what he's done for me, there's nothing that I won't do for him. That's, what the, that, that's why I'm able. That's why I'm able to do the good works because he enables me to do them because he is with me because he empowers me and because he reminds me of everything that my Lord has done for me. I need Jesus. I didn't just need him when I got saved. I need Jesus today. And I will need Jesus tomorrow. And I will need him until I see him face to face. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. 
No tender voice like thine can peace afford. I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Savior. I come to thee. Is that the testimony of your life? I pray that it is. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, I thank you for the, for the gospel, for Jesus, and reminding us today once again of how much we need Jesus. And Lord, forgive us. Forgive us for ever thinking that we can live the Christian life without Jesus. Forgive us for, for, for trying to live the Christian life without Jesus. Lord, we are nothing but the Pharisees when we do it. But Lord, teach us every day, every moment of every day. It depends solely upon Jesus, not only for our salvation, but our sanctification as we grow and become more obedient to you every day. For we ask it in Christ's name, amen.